We are here to uncover the good, the bad, and the ugly of the IT industry. My name is Robin Johns, and this is Convergence by Cato Networks. As time passes, technology and human innovation have advanced rapidly. This is not only in terms of available connectivity, bandwidth and processing power, but also in terms of the networking and security landscape as well. For every technological advancement in consumer and business productivity, IT systems, operations and security must also try and keep pace. But with each new need and technical area, a multitude of vendors and products emerge, only adding to the complexity. Today, we're talking about the complexity in the IT ecosystem with Evan Safdia, who is Cato Network's Director of Product Marketing. We'll talk about how complicated IT solutions actually need to be and how can we do much more with less if we optimize them properly. Welcome, Evan. Thanks, Robin. Great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to have you. So how did we manage to complicate the information technology so much? I thought life was getting easier. Well, that's the thing, right? So for every new innovation in technology on the consumer and on the IT side, there are certain things that have to be done in order to maintain security. So kind of through the natural evolution of solving problems as technologists, we've created this complex architecture, not intentionally, just because as new solutions arrive in order to deliver security, performance, and remote access, we're layering them onto our existing products in hopes to create a cohesive security strategy. So through time and just the natural progression of things, we've ended up in this state where most people are managing a multitude of products and appliances across their entire organization in order to just keep pace with keeping the business moving forward. Oh, so what would you say are the most common challenges IT professionals are facing from this rapid expansion? I think it's uh, kind of threefold, right? So, you know, the first is, is time. I very rarely encounter Anyone who works in technology who has tons of spare time, you know, they're working uh, after hours and weekends, doing updates and, you know, deploying new technologies, just keeping everything moving. The other side is complexity, right? Because of all of these disparate products that we've been forced to kind of band-aid together or loosely integrate, so to speak, we end up with this huge, you know, mess of complexity as far as we're not entirely sure what our security posture is. We think we know. Uh, as you know, <laughs> practitioners, and we have an idea, and hopefully, you know, it's it's on the better side of things. But it's really hard to say, right? And especially as you go upstream to bigger companies and more complex security stacks, there exists the possibility for there to be gaps, right? It's it's hard to determine any of one thousand policies applying to a specific use case and understanding that you'll be secure in that case. And then the last is cost, right? So with with everything that you add, you're, you're adding substantial cost. And we're not just talking about the cost of the product, but really the cost of maintaining people to maintain the product, deploy new capabilities to the product. And then this is kind of an ongoing cycle of, you know, one, finding the right personnel and paying for new investments in technology and connectivity. But bigger is always better, right? That's what I hear from all the marketing. Oh, is that, that's a dig at marketing. Oh, gosh, no. Um, so, you know, that's kind of been the case, right? And we think about bigger within the terms of what we're used to, which is, you know, historically, security appliances, right? So more capabilities, more power, more appliances, you know, stack them together. And I think there is a, a breaking point where you get to X number of technologies and you're no longer increasing your capabilities. You're actually, you know, hurting your ability to deliver these capabilities effectively. 
Well, I used to be working in professional services. I did a lot of deployments and quite frequently I'd go out and put five or six different boxes. I'd co-chain them together. I'd ensure they have full integration and everything works. And that could take several days, if not weeks. Do you have any suggestions how that sort of process can be simplified? Because you're right, as I work in tech, I spend my evenings and weekends working. And even if it's not just work, it's the constant treadmill of keeping up with the IT and security industry. Because once you get off this treadmill, it's a whole lot harder to jump back on than it is to keep those wheels running. So how do you suggest that we can do more with less? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, so from my time when I actually did uh, real IT stuff and not just marketing, you know, I remember that. And it kind of feels like you're not getting ahead because you're, you're doing the same things on the same projects and then new projects that are almost the same from you as a as far as a hour and time requirement what we really need to do as as practitioners is one, you know, stop being proud of this struggle that we have as far as, yeah, I'm on call. Yeah, I have a, a deployment. Yeah, I, you know, I know this one technology really well and really focus more on, on outcomes, right? So we really have to talk about, you know, delivering seamless, scalable security and access to our users anywhere in the world. And we have to look at vendors that can enable that. So not just vendors that have taken, you know, their current portfolio of products integrated them together and offer them to you as, you know, kind of a cohesive one vendor solution. That way is, is really just a band-aid on the complexity that we're already experiencing. What we really need to do is look at vendors that have completely converged solutions that can seamlessly deliver capabilities globally, but also provide you with real-time simple analytics and the ability to manage the solution from really one true not to overuse the term, it's super overused, <laughs> single pane of glass, right? So, you know, it's really about that. And there are companies that, that obviously try and do this from a legacy perspective, and they'll sell you this really amazing, or maybe not amazing, management platform. So it's another product that you have to deploy and manage, which it honestly erodes the value of having a single management point, right? You really need something that is simple and truly cohesive. So are you saying I should stop buying DVDs and sign up to Netflix instead? Maybe, yeah, absolutely. Or maybe just, you know, have your own Plex server for the, the videos that you've bought and uh, then you don't have to pay a subscription. Oh, okay. okay. That's a, probably a better way of doing it. But then if I have my own Plex server, that's another bit of hardware I have to sit around. And currently the wife isn't happy with all of the legacy firewalls that I have sat spinning air, costing money and producing lots and lots of heat. So it's all great. So if we, as we start to look towards more service-oriented companies and we have more focus on solution-based outcomes, do you think there's going to be a large challenge for traditional subject matter experts on point products to evolve to the service mentality? Yes and no, right? I think it's all up to their mindset. And, and one of the things that I've noticed in technology is that technologies die out. So I think that being a subject matter expert on a specific technology, you have to be very careful as far as what your career path and plans are moving forward. If you're an expert on something that is just irrelevant anymore, which I'm sure there's plenty of things that we could think of to cover <laughs> that. But if you're an expert on that and it's gone, um, what do you do then? So I think the industry as a whole is moving in this direction. And I think uh, practitioners need to be open to it. But I also think that they'll find some value in, in the simplicity, right? It's easier for them to learn. You know, as I get older, I personally have a, a harder time keeping tabs on technology. So it's easier <laughs> for them to learn. Uh, to manage, and, and then it delivers better results to their organization without requiring them to be working, you know, 80, 90 hours a week. And hopefully they can find some additional work-life balance there. But, you know, the, the pivot to, you know, service consumption as opposed to deploying and managing your own stacks, I think is critical and an easy step for most practitioners. Good step. It's a good step. Well, I was talking to some friends not so long ago, 
And they have all decided to kind of leave their jobs. We're in an era of the big resignation as people realize that there's a very hot job market and technology is revolutionizing the way forward. So these people who have left their jobs, being subject matter experts in their point products, well, the people coming into those roles to replace them, they don't have that level of tribal knowledge and awareness. And if you're looking at a product that has been up and running for 20 years and you have somebody with 19 years experience in that tool, somebody fresh to the job market might not have that experience of how to operate and manage. So you end up in a negative point. So how do you think businesses are handling this challenge of the big resignation and dealing with traditional point products? So what I find very interesting about the great resignation and you know the digital transformation that we've been discussing this whole time on this podcast is that they really go hand in hand. I think that workers are seeing that they can have expectations about you know quality of life and balance and all of these things, as well as you know compensation and all those things that are important to them. But all of these things are enabled through this digital transformation, and they're also part of the reason why we need to pivot to this more scalable, easier to deliver model. And so to you know step back to your person with uh, 19 years of experience on a specific product leaving, you know I think uh, organizations need to be mindful of the technologies they choose moving forward because. If you think about that specific situation, you either have to find someone that has that specific domain of knowledge, which is going to be expensive, rare, or just impossible, or you're going to have to hire you know, an MSP or a consultant or someone to manage that for you. So you're really losing the ability to, to one, control uh, what you're doing, as well as in increasing your costs. And you know, I like to put it this way. We've all heard this term, you know, no one ever got fired for buying, you know, insert X well-known legacy here. <laughs> Uh, but you know what I'll say is that you didn't get promoted for doing that either, right? If you cannot be replaced, how do you take vacation? How do you you know get promoted? You really don't have options here if you're the one go-to guy for this you know one technology that's been lurking in the stack forever. As the workforce is expanding and the workforce is now primarily becoming millennial and Gen Z folks, there's also a less of a focus on that grind till you die mindset, <laughs> and more focus on to actually working to live instead of living to work which can be very challenging. And since COVID has happened and people have started working from home more, there's a greater reluctance to actually go into offices and data centers to work because it's proven that most technology companies or most mind work instead of physical body work can be done from any location in the world. So how do you think this is going to change how we work in the post-pandemic era? And I say post-pandemic, I know it's, the numbers are still higher around the world, but how do you think this will change? We've seen wide, quick adoption of work from home strategies just due to COVID. Um, you know, some companies are starting to open up their offices again and things are, are returning to somewhat normal, but I think they've been permanently changed because organizations have seen that we can allow employees to work from home and they're happier, more productive, and they do better things than they would, you know, necessarily in an office. And we find that the office is, is you know, kind of a great place to gather and to, you know, have face to face interaction, but it's not 100% required for productivity. And there's some really great benefits to go along with, you know, encouraging remote work in this world that we live in, especially with all the technology that we have, you know, we can deliver security, scalable performance and, and all of that to all of our users. They don't have to be in the office. But not only that, you know, companies back to the, the problem we were just talking about with hiring that one guy with tons of experience on a specific product. Well, now if you are, you know, kind of remote first or at least open to remote, you have a wider access to a pool of candidates, right? You can hire people from anywhere in the world and you can pick the best person for that job, not the best person for that job that happens to live within, you know, an hour of your physical location. So you're really mm -hmm. increasing your ability there. And then it's also estimated that, uh, you know, organizations save like 
uh, between ten and forty thousand dollars a year per employee that is working full time remote. So there's really significant implications there, and I think we're at the point in time where technology is enabling this and allowing us to you know have better outcomes for for both our organizations and for us as employees. Since working from home, I think I've spent an extra ten to forty thousand dollars a year on food delivery services. But it's a good change of life. It's a good change of life. Did you find it difficult adjusting to the full work from home culture? Not at all. So I've been、uh, full time remote for six years or over six years now. And before that, my last office job, I had to. I worked on a, a product that enabled、uh, remote work. Actually, it was you know a VDI, a application delivery product、uh, from a well known vendor. But I worked on that product, and I always found it ironic. I Worked in an office in downtown Houston. I was the only member of my team in that office, so I would show up to the office every day, interact with no one in person, and then leave. And this was required for me. And it, it's fascinating to me that I had to commute for an hour to ninety minutes every day, each way, and work on a product that actually enabled you to do anything from anywhere. And I think that mindset is kind of going away. And employees, you know, for the most part, there are some that that still love offices, but they, most people like the flexibility of at least part-time work from home. So you were ahead of the curve for moving to the remote workforce. That's good to know. As you're experienced of being a home worker, and you're a home worker or sorry, remote worker, I should say, instead of pre-pandemic, what are your kind of three predictions for how this will evolve over the next, say, five years? Because there is a big push for organizations to return to offices. There are lots of real estate going empty. So, what are your three predictions? So one, I think that you know most organizations will move towards tools that are easier to use and also accessible from anywhere, right? So instead of deploying you know specific hardware into specific data centers, you'll have more of a global presence and we'll leverage more SaaS applications for our every day to day. And this is already evident, right? We、uh, think back a few years ago and you think about how Office was delivered, right? You would buy Office, you would download and install it on your machine, and then you would use the various applications. But Office has grown into Office 365, and then you think back a few years. Also,、uh, if you talk about CRM, and CRM is is critical to many businesses, and they were very comfortable hosting a CRM, running it internally, and then it took a huge level of trust to take that and put it into something like Salesforce.、Uh, you know, probably I can imagine early on in Salesforce, they were like meeting with prospects, and the prospects were like, "You want me to trust you to run this piece of software that is essential for my business and and consume it from the cloud." And Salesforce is like yes, and here we are today, right? No one has a doubt in their mind that Salesforce is one of the top CRMs available. So I definitely expect that to continue. Number two, I think work from home also lends itself to bring your own device, right? So bring your own device programs have existed for a long time. I think we'll see broader adoption there. I remember when I first started in my career, you get your Windows machine, whether it's a laptop or a desktop, it's it's very standard. Now I see people with you know Macs, Chromebooks,、um, whatever device that they want to work on. You know we even have some people here、uh, on the sales team that try and work as much as on an iPad as they can, which I think is it's really cool and it shows this transition to less focus on what you're using, but really the results that you're driving. And I think that's what you know remote work、uh, is all about, right? We're no longer worried about when you work, how you work, to for the most part, but we really are concerned with. You know how you're working. Is it effective? And are you getting the results、uh, personally and professionally that that you want? Number three, number three is、uh, maybe not the best one. Maybe the best one. I don't know. I'll let you decide. <laughs>、um, I think、uh, we have to have a renewed focus on you know creating security at scale with simplicity because 
now we're securing all these devices and people that we don't know exactly where their location is. Maybe we don't always know what resources they're using, right? They're not just connecting to things in our data center. They're accessing, you know, SaaS. They're accessing anything really that helps them get their job done. And because of this, and also the combination of devices that employees are using, uh, right? It's not just a laptop. It's you know their mobile phone, a tablet. It can be really a variety of things now. So we have to extend security to the user, right? So it's really not, you know, we used to bring users to our security stack through backhauling through VPN or something like that. And now we really need to deliver security to the user in a way that is easy to manage and also makes sense to them. One of the big challenges of having a remote workforce is, as you mentioned, you don't know where people are in the world and how. So if I'm trying to create some form of regional failover scenario for corporate traffic, if I'm trying to ensure that people are connected always to the VPN to have traffic routed a specific way, does this not just increase the level of complexity of our network? Because I don't just have to manage a handful of users in one office anymore. Now I have multiple areas to look at. So how can we make life easier when life has got more complex? So certainly it could quickly become very complex. Right? If we think about you know, the legacy way of doing things and building out data centers, and then some organizations have adopted this and just you know build the same thing, but in you know Azure, AWS. If you think about that, that could quickly become very complex and, and really unmanageable, also very expensive. So what we really need to do is make some careful decisions around the vendors that we select to deliver these capabilities to our users, right? There's thousands of security vendors now. Uh, there's probably five new ones today that we've never heard of. <laughs> um, and they're all you know trying to say that they deliver a similar value proposition. So I think organizations really need to be very selective and they need to choose something that offers all of these capabilities and resources at scale as a service, right? So you're no longer consuming the specific details, right? You're not in charge of all the buttons and dials, but you have control over them and you're not worried about updates. You're not worried about you know, high availability. You're using a service that has global presence and your users will automatically be connected to where it makes sense and through that, they'll enjoy a secure, high-performance experience where before you had to make compromises like split tunneling or allowing users to turn off their VPN client. So how is this different from writing a bunch of Ansible and Python scripts to automate my network for me? What's really different is that, that one, it was built as a, as a cohesive solution, right? So we always talk about this ability or interest maybe from some organizations in developing their own software to solve certain problems or their own scripts. And it really comes down to this, right? And, and when I talk to CIOs, we really talk about a couple of things. It's like, well, one, are you in the data center business? Is that what you want to do? And they're like, no, not really. I mean, it's just, I, I have to do it. And then two, well, are you in the software development business? Do you want to do that? Well, no, I mean, you know, some stuff we have to do. And if you think about this, right, when we tie back to our earlier problem where we had the, the one guy who know how to do something for, for the last 20 years, and then he decides to leave or retire or whatever the case is, you're just perpetuating that cycle or to some extent making it worse, right? I've worked at companies that had legacy applications that were developed years ago. They're running on old hardware because they're incompatible with newer hardware and software. And you really create this situation where you could be stuck with something that is either not working or not working well, and you no longer have the person who created it or managed it. And you have to bring in someone new to go over, you know, hundreds of lines of code in order to figure out exactly what it is. So, Unless you want to be in the data center or software development cycle business, you know, I recommend that you look at vendors that don't force you down these paths, right? That, that really allow you to focus on your core business priorities and not do the chores that are typically associated with that. 
I'd never thought that was an option. I thought if you were to deploy a tool, if you wanted new service, if you wanted new functionality, it always came with that administration of software development, patching, upgrading, deploying, maintaining, logistics and renewals. I thought that was just part and parcel of an IT landscape. That's where we're all at, right? This is what we're used to. This is the struggle that we've become proud of and familiar with. And, and to some extent, it's comfortable, right? You're, you're used to doing certain things and you wonder, well, if I don't do these things anymore, who's going to do them? Will they get done? And what will I do, right? So it's, it's really about that shift in focus, right? Take your time and spend it on things that are important, things that move your business forward and help your organization to succeed. And through that, right, you'll no longer have to, you know, maybe you won't have to work as many hours and you'll get better results. And maybe you still want to work as many hours and you have tons of projects to do. That's fine too. But you could focus on those projects and you don't have to bring in, you know, third parties to accomplish some of these tasks for you. Your, your vendor is delivering you these capabilities as a service. And with that, there's a guarantee that, you know, your vendor has your back and they're doing all the things that make sense to your organization. I hear quite frequently about the fear of displacement where if you were to bring in a vendor that offers a service or simplifies your life so you don't have to spend three weeks a month doing patching and upgrades, it leads to the business question of, oh, if this has been resolved for me, why do they need to continue hiring me? And that fear, I think, is something that is very deep-rooted in the human psyche. But anytime I start talking to network engineers or security engineers, I always like to ask the question of, why did you get into security? Or why did you get into networking? And I have yet to find one person say that they've got into this field because they like patching, because they want to do upgrading, because they want to do menial administration. If anybody is out there, please contact me. I'd love to hear your side of the story. But I have yet to find any of these people. People get into security because they're curious. They want to advance. They want to learn and explore the latest exploits and hacks. People get into networking because of the complexity of our digital plumbing. Patching, uh, that's a slightly different skill set, but it's a necessary evil to get to that, that goal. So if we're looking at simplifying our lives, Evan, and if we're looking at trying to do more with less, what personal productivity hacks or tools would you recommend to get stuff done quicker? There's tons of stuff we could talk about here. And a couple things that I'll say as, as someone who has you know, been full-time remote for a while is that people struggle often with separating their personal and work lives. And it makes sense, right? If you work at home, you're at home all the time for the most part. So I think uh, there's a couple of valid things that are not necessarily you know, tools or hacks, but it's really about managing your own schedule and also making sure to pay attention to your personal well-being, right? So one of the things I like to say is, you know, if you have the space, which I know some people are just you know, trying to make do in their apartments, have a dedicated area for work. It can be a whole office. It can be a corner of a room. And when you're in that spot, you're working. When you're not in that spot, you're not working. Take a break, do something else. And this allows you to kind of mentally separate these two concepts. The other side is, is always make time to eat either a good breakfast or a good lunch, ideally both. And uh, while you're doing that, try and put the phone down, you know, maybe watch TV or Netflix or something like that. And the other side is, you know, there's, there's a ton of tools that, that are out there, especially now, tons of SaaS, all these kinds of great things that will help you either improve your quality, your schedule, your interaction with your, your other coworkers. So I love communication tools. You know, Zoom has been a, a great asset to all of us as a Slack. But so, you know, try and adopt tools that really make sense for you and for your organization, right? Anything that can make it more enjoyable, easier, or better to interact and produce things for your organization is uh, something should be considered. That's a wonderful insight. Separation of life and work is the biggest challenge that I've seen. It's just far too easy to be accessible all day, every day, because your work and your home life are very closely intertwined. So good steps. 
So I have a final question for you, Evan, before we depart today. And it's a very wide question, but what is something you wish you knew earlier in your career? Oh, wow. This is, mm. a, this is a great question. Very hard. So, you know, earlier in my career, I, to be transparent, I never really had a completely defined career path. You know, I know some people grow up, they want to be, you know, veterinarians or doctors or lawyers. I like technology, so I went to school and, and did IT, right? And then I focused very hard on, you know, the details, right? Active Directory, Exchange, all these technologies that were seemed super important. But if you look at time now, they're less important to some extent, right? They still exist, but Exchange has kind of become Office 365 for the most part. You know, very few organizations are hosting their own on-prem Exchange. And Active Directory has kind of become all these other identity providers, right? So Azure Active Directory is a evolution, but then we have disruptors like Okta really doing great things. So I think really to be strong technologist, and I think as part of one happiness and career progression is to focus less on the very specific details, right? Let go of the buttons and dials and focus more on broader concepts as far as understanding what the architecture should look like to enable your organization and how security works, right? We need to really understand how attackers are thinking in order to disrupt these attacks and adopt products to put in place to make it easier to prevent them. But I think these focuses will not only make you happier as uh, someone who's working in technology, because it can obviously quickly become cumbersome and overbearing, but they also position you very strongly for moving up into whatever your next goal is. So instead of focusing on you know one specific thing all the time, try and focus on you know the broader concepts and the big picture, uh, especially if you're looking to move into you know management or leadership. Fantastic. So thank you very much for your time today, Evan. It's been great having you, and I hope you have a great day. You too. Thank you so much, Robin. Take care. That was all for our episode today. I hope you've come away feeling a little more educated and empowered. In case you've forgotten, I'm Robin Johns, and you've been listening to Convergence by Cato Networks. Don't forget to hit subscribe, and I'll see you next time.